take your Bible if you would and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As you turn there, I just want to let you know, we just got back, uh, some of the staff, we were away. Every year we try to get away and just kind of dream together, vision together, think about the new uh, next ministry season. And I, just on the behalf of the pastoral staff, the, the staff here at First Church, we just want to say how excited we are to partner with you uh, for this next ministry season and to see what God is up to and how we're going to work together to restore his ideal. And we're going to talk about some of those things starting a new series next week called Restore. And through the month of February, we're going to talk about some exciting things uh, of who we are and where we're going. And, and so that's, that's, that's coming up. Uh, but as we were away uh, as staff, every day we started just seeking after the Lord in his word, praying together. Uh, we had some just rich time together seeking the Lord. Uh, we also had some good training. Pastor Crystal, she, uh, my wife, she uh, led us in uh, what is uh, some uh, newer material by Lencioni on the working genius. She uh, led us through that. It just talks about, helps us understand how we can work more uh, impactfully together as, as, a, as, a, as a church staff. And so we uh, did some of that, uh, did some of that. And, but also just listening to the Lord. What, God, is your next uh, what's the next thing? Where, where are we going? Where, where are you taking us? How do you want us to work together to restore your uh, ideal? And, and I just want to just encourage you as we think about that. In the 115 or so year history of First Church, God has done some amazing things. Kind of the cliff notes of what's happening. God's done some amazing things. God is doing some amazing things. We have lots of great things to celebrate. And we look forward to our best days that are yet to come and what God's going to do as, again, we work together to accomplish the vision that God's given us of restoring his ideal uh, in our world. So, again, best days are ahead. Can I get a little amen for that? Amen. Again, take your Bible. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We wrap up our series called Strapped. And in this series, we've been looking at what God's Word has to say to us, the key principles that God's Word has to, to teach us about how we can find freedom from some of the things that, that, that have a tendency to bind up people financially. How to find financial freedom. How to find freedom from, again, things that the world would keep us in bondage to, uh, freedom uh, from, again, the, our culture just has this skewed view of what really matters, and how can we find freedom in that? And so we've looked at Scripture, and we've been reminded in Scripture about the freedom that's found when we have a kingdom mentality about the things that God has blessed us with, freedom that's found when we learn to understand that wealth has no ability, uh, the things of this world have no ability to, to address the deepest longing of our lives. The most important, deepest longings that God has wired us up with. The freedom that we've discovered as we, one week we looked at the story of the rich young ruler and the freedom that we find when I submit everything to him, when I surrender everything to him, when I hold everything that God's blessed me with an, with an open hand and the freedom that comes with that. And so as we wrap up our series, my prayer is that we will continue today to find freedom. Freedom as we look at the principles that we find in God's word. Find principles that set us free in our whole lives. The abundant life that Christ has to offer. And, and as we think about our lives, one of the areas that we don't like to talk about so much is this area of finances. And so to find freedom in this area. 
Now, I want to share with you a story. I was talking to Crystal as I was preparing this week, and I just asked Crystal. I said, Crystal, I had shared the story about 10 years ago with the church. Do you think it's okay if I shared it again? I'm afraid everybody's going to remember it, and then they'll, you know, whatever. And do you think it's okay? And Crystal said, David, I've had COVID three times. I can't remember anything. There's been a lot of people that have had it. It's called COVID brain. Nobody's going to remember what you had to say 10 years ago. And so with that tremendous encouragement, that none of you have, there's no way that you'll ever remember anything I've said a decade ago. I want to reshare this story that I told you 10 years ago. When, uh, so I want to give a big shout out to my very encouraging wife that's on the front row there today. So we, when we lived in Ohio, our oldest son, Caleb, he had just moved into the youth group. He was in sixth grade. He's coming into sixth grade, and he was really excited about being in the youth group. And we had happened. I was a parent of a, uh, of a middle schooler at that point. And so we went after, in after the youth group had, was over, and, and we had this youth building at the time. And, and so downstairs was this area where that you could hang out and play pool or foosball or uh, video games or whatever. And there was this bar that you could buy uh, snacks. And so Caleb came over and he asked for some money in sixth grade. He didn't have a ton of discretional income and, at the time. And so he asked me for some money so he could go buy something. And so he, he goes and he buys what? And I confirmed yesterday in a text to Caleb. I said, Caleb, are sour punch straws still your, uh, one of your favorite snacks? And he said, you know, absolutely. Still one of his favorite snacks. And so Caleb went over and he bought a package of sour punch straws and he comes over and there's some of us and we were standing around, we were cutting up and just having a good time and Caleb's standing there and he's eating his sour punch straws and, and you know, they look pretty good. I mean, who doesn't like reconstituted sugar in string form that has sugar on top of the sugar? And so it just, you know, seemed appealing at the time. And so I, hey, can I have one of those? And he said, no. I thought, well, clearly he's misunderstood what I had to say. And, 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 and he, and then he kind of reiterates as, uh, again, no, you can't have one. They're mine. And, and so, you know, this is, the, this is the child that I help bring into this world. And he's telling me, and he's telling me, no. And so I ask again, can I have one of the Sour Punch straws? And he said, no. And then he added this little line, no, they're mine. Go buy your own. Now, I told the story, it was kind of similar to that, but it, it was just funny to kind of think back to that moment. And some of you parents have had similar experiences. And Caleb, in his sixth grade understanding, he didn't understand a few things. First, I didn't need his Sour Punch straws. I could have gone over to the bar. I could have bought every uh, package of Sour Punch straws, the youth ministry at the First Church of God in Middletown, Ohio, every package. And I could have showered him with Sour Punch straws. I didn't need his sour punch straws. Also, as I look down and think back to his sixth grade physique, I could have taken his sour punch straws away from him and I could have eaten him and eaten them in front of him and there was nothing that he could do to keep me from eating the sour punch straws that I gave him the money to buy if I had wanted. Now, that would have been much difficult today. But when he was in sixth grade, it wouldn't have been so much of a problem. So here's the deal. God has given us some sour punch straws. And some of us have a big old pile of sour punch straws. And some of us have a medium-sized pile of sour punch straws. And some of us are here today, and you walked in, and you have just one single package 
Now, that's beyond my pay grade to understand why some of us get a big pile and some of us get a media pile and some of us get a small pile and some of us get a single package. But the deal is everything that we have, every package of sour punch straws comes from God. And our, kind of the way that we look at the sour punch straws that we have, the, the attitude that we have, do we have with the, with the package that we have or the packages or the, the big pile, the middle, medium-sized pile, the small pile, the one, one single package, how we look at it and do we have that attitude of no, it's mine to our God, get your own. That attitude that we have makes a huge difference and has the potential to keep us in bondage. And so how can we be free from that? How can we, how can we, how can we with the sour punch straws we've been given, how, with the blessings we've been given, how can we find freedom to be generous? Jesus, and we've kind of mentioned this through the series, Jesus has talks, when you just look at his teachings, he talks a lot about sour punch straws, about stuff and, and wealth and, and money. And in this series, we've looked at a few of those teachings that, that Jesus has. And we mentioned that, that Jesus often talked about it. He talked about sour punch straws. He talked about money and finance and all those things. He talked about more than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer, more than faith, more than a number of subjects. And as we strive to be faithful followers of Jesus, how we approach and the attitude that we have to the, to the package or packages of sour punch straws that we've been blessed with, how we look at them, again, has the ability to either keep us in bondage or to set us free to live a generous life, a life of generosity where we find freedom. And as we strive to restore God's ideal together, God invites us to, to, uh, to, be, to be generous with what he has blessed us with. So let's look at this scripture, again, going back 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me set it up for us as we think about what God has to teach us today about our sour punch straws and the generosity that he's calling us to have with them. So the background of the story, Paul had been writing, was writing, he wrote a number of letters. He's writing to a church that had been planted in the area of Corinth, the city. And he was writing to them to invite them to be a part of a collection that was being taken up for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was the mother church. The church in Jerusalem, after Jesus was, uh, was crucified and he rose from the dead, and on the day of Pentecost, the church is birthed, and, and it was just exciting to see from that beginning point of, in Jerusalem how the gospel spread. And Paul was one of, one of the leaders that took the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and he took it in a series of missionary journeys all around the known world at the time, planting churches, and people were coming to Christ, and churches were being planted in different areas, different regions. And the church in Jerusalem, as that was going on, began to face intense persecution. Christians were being imprisoned. Their, their belongings seized. And so it was a really difficult time. They were struggling. And so Paul was going around to some of these newer churches, and he was taking up uh, some collections to try to go back and to try to help the church in Jerusalem. And the church in the area of Macedonia, in that area, uh, he was... He was holding them up, that church, those churches in Macedonia, as an example of, of, a, of a group of people that really understood what it was to be generous. And he uses them as an example of what it looks like as he's encouraged the church in, in, in Corinth there. He's using them to, uh, to have this example of what it looks like to be generous with the sour punch straws that you have been blessed with. 
I wonder if the reason that he's using the Macedonian church as an example is that maybe the church in Corinth had a little bit, and I'm sorry for all of you sixth graders as I continue to refer to the sixth grade mentality. I'm sure that's not your mentality, but I knew a sixth grader one time that had this mentality. Uh, and so I'm referring to him. And so, uh, so maybe they had that mentality, that mentality of know that it's mine, get your own. And so with that context in mind of what was going on, and he's trying to encourage the church in Corinth with this example of this other church that was super generous, here's what Paul has to say as he writes to them to encourage them. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, severe, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now that relief of the saints that he's referring to is what I was talking about. The relief of the saints was the effort that they were doing of gathering resources from, these, from some of these churches that he had planted around the known world. And he's, he's taken up a collection and he's taking those resources back to Jerusalem to help that church. And so it would be similar, like if the church here, this campus here at uh, St. Joe was having some real struggles, and if the Benton Heights campus and the Stevensville campus and the Alcalar campus, if they took up a collection and then sent it here to help us, uh, it would be a, kind of a similar thing. That's what was going on. He goes on in verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus just as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's go back to the beginning of that. Those verses, and to see and to understand this encouragement that he's giving them to be generous with the Sour Patch straws that they've been given. Look at verse 1. And we know, and we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you look at a map and you look at, there's a, the Greek peninsula, and the north part of this, this, this Greek peninsula are, this is where uh, he's talking. This area is called Macedonia. And it's churches that we might be familiar with, the church of, of, of Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the Berean church. All of them were in this region of Macedonia. If you're looking at a, at a map, it's on the, that, uh, that, that peninsula of Greece. And these churches had been, what's he say, had, what had they been going through? He, he, he talks about the, some of the struggles that they had been on. But he, he talks that, that, as we know, that as Paul had gone, that he had shared the grace of God with them. That Paul had, had, had communicated this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they had experienced that grace. And the church, these churches in uh, Thessalonica and in Philippi and in Berea had been birthed as a result of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they had responded, and their lives had been transformed by this grace, this unmerited, unearned favor of God that was... was was being communicated because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not because they had earned it, not because they were good enough, because, because Christ is sacrificed and they had put their faith in Christ and so they were experiencing the grace of God. Now we don't have time to go back and look at it, but you can see there's little hints throughout the different letters that Paul wrote in other places to these other churches in Macedonia. You can see 
the struggle, the real struggle that they were having. They themselves, the churches of Macedonia, were experiencing intense persecution, hardships themselves. And even their material wealth was being compromised and was in decline as a result of their faith. But despite all of that, the difficulties, their grace, the grace of God in their lives had flourished. Their spiritual well-being had flourished as they grew in generosity, as they understood that generosity that, that they, were, they were displaying to others was, was, was through this grace that they had been given. And so we're kind of putting into practice some of what we see in the story that we can learn from them to appreciate generosity as a part of God's grace. That's the perspective. The perspective that I'm a manager of the sour punch straws that God's given me, whether I've got a big pile, medium pile, small pile, one package, that I have been blessed, and it's by his grace that I've been given everything that I have, and so I have the privilege of, of passing on and being a part of, of, of being one that helps God work through me to be a blessing to others. I, I love when we often talk about it, what God said to Abram, who was his name later changed to Abraham, and God says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will, I will shower my grace, in other words, on you. I will shower you with sour punch straws, and I will make your name great, God says to Abram, so that you will be a blessing. So that you can then distribute, be a part of distributing the grace that I've given you to others. So that you can be a blessing. God's grace to us, God's unearned favor fuels our generosity. Go back to that story. He describes what's going on. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, notice what he says is going on. How's, the, how, how's it described? The struggle that they were in says that it was a severe test of affliction. Now, I don't know what that means exactly. The NLT translates that same phrase, they have many troubles. So there was some intense stuff going on. It also describes their financial position when it says that they were in extreme poverty. The NLT, again, translates from the original language, they were very poor. I want to make sure that you don't skip what's sandwiched between this, this, this real intense affliction that they were struggling with and this extreme poverty that they were struggling with and sandwiched in between those two things. What does it say was going on? They were experiencing an abundance of joy. So in the valley, in the difficulty, in the struggle, and we understand because life is like that, they were still able to find joy. I think it's good if you ever get a chance, if you've never been on an international missions trip, to go somewhere internationally and serve. I've had the privilege over 30 plus years to go to a number of places around our world. I've gone to, had the privilege of going into slums in South America. I've been into the favelas of Rio. I've been to... Uh, leper colonies. I've been to some of the poorest regions in the face of the earth in Malawi, some of the most intense poverty on the globe. I've been to war-torn Ukraine. And in every case, as I've interacted with Jesus' followers, no matter how intense the struggle has been, I have always found joy. 
that there's joy in the midst of the struggle. That God has been able to, they've been able to find the, the joy of the Lord sandwiched in between the extreme affliction and extreme poverty, sandwiched in between, just like we see in the Macedonia church, an abundance of joy. Now, what do you think motivated them to have this abundance of joy? What was motivating them to, to be generous? Had they, had they become jaded in their outlook on life? And so they were, were they sitting around thinking about, you know, uh, you know, coming together to think about how they can keep all their sour pastures with themselves as a result of the things that were going on in their life. That was not what was happening. What was happening? What does Paul describe in the last part of verse 2? It overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, it says, they gave out of their limited resources and beyond. And it's really important you see what he says at the very end as he describes it in verse 3, of their own accord. Not because they were guilted into it. And that's not what today's about. Today's about God inviting us to be a part of what he's doing. To, to set us free, to be generous with the Sour Patch trials that we've been given, however, whatever the size of that pile is, and the blessing that comes with that. Do you, do you remember what Paul would go on to write in the next chapter? Some of you might be familiar with it in verse 7 of chapter 9. He says, Each one of us must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a grouchy giver. Was that it? Or God loves a, God loves a, guilty, a guilty giver. Was that what he said? No, he says, God loves, for God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. Overflowing generosity was what uh, was what was what was the motivation. So what we learned from them to see giving as a privilege, not an obligation. In verse four, it says that they were begging earnestly for the favor, for the privilege of giving to the kingdom work. The first decade of Christianized ministry, we were youth pastors. I know many of you know that, and we served one of the places. We, one of the two places we served was a church in Middletown. And the first time that I took a group of young people, of teenagers, internationally on a work camp was in Middletown. And we were going to go to Peru. We were going to go to the slums of Peru. We were going to, I was going to take teenagers to a, uh, this leper colony in Lima, uh, Peru. And so we were trying to figure out how to finance that. The church didn't have a lot of extra dollars to give the youth ministry at the time. And so we were trying to figure out how to finance that. And so we decided to have this rummage sale. And so there was a lady in the church by the name of Norma Coverman. And Norma Coverman loved children. She loved young people. She loved teenagers. She'd never, had, she'd never been married. She never had any kids of her own. But she loved being a blessing to other people's kids. And she called me up and said, Pastor David, could you send someone to pick up? I've got some stuff that I've set aside that I want to give because I want to see us send those young people uh, uh, on that work camp, and I've got some stuff that I put together. Will you send someone to pick up some stuff? And when they got there, Norma Coverman, I believe it was a teacher she'd been her whole life. She lived in a very small apartment in this retirement kind of facility uh, apartment, and she had gone through her stuff, and she literally had there waiting for us an entire truckload of stuff. A truckload. We were blown away. She was excited about sending teenagers on the mission field. One of the young people that went on their first missions trip 
to Peru that year was a young man by the name of Tim Downing. And Tim, on that trip, if you were to ask him today, his heart, his, his love for missions work began on that trip that Norma Coverman, the, this, this, this simple uh, woman that just loved people, loved children, loved being generous with what she's been blessed with, that she wanted to see these young people go. And she gave out of her extreme poverty, really, to give to this work. And so Tim's heart for mission was birthed that day. Tim, today, to ask him to tell you the rest of the story, you'd have to go to Ecuador, where he's served for the last several decades with his family. Can you imagine the reunion when Norma Coverman, who's now gone on to be the Lord, when Norma, Norma sees Tim when he finally makes it one day to his eternal reward, and he is there. And can you imagine the excitement when Tim is able to share with Norma, let me tell you about what happened on that work camp that you helped me be able to go to, and this is what happened in my heart, and the excitement that, that I got for missions, and then I became a missionary, and here's, uh, let me tell you about my family, let me tell you about, these are my friends, my Ecuadorian friends, that a result of your generosity, these are all the people whose lives were transformed by the grace, by the generosity that you expressed. Because Norma understood that giving is a privilege, not an obligation. In verse 7, he says, But you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And in, your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, I joke around with our staff. They know that I love to preach from the ESV. And I sometimes joke around with them because they have other uh, subpar versions they like to read from. Um, and, and one of those being the NLT. I'm just joking. The, but the NLT is one that we kind of joke around about. And so, but I love the way the NLT translates from the original language this, this, this verse, verse 7. Let me read it for you in the NLT. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, and listen to what it, how it's translated, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So Paul, he's, he's encouraging the church and he's giving, holding up as an example this church that had been struggling. They were in extreme poverty, and, but they have this abundant joy, and they just wanted to, to give. And they're not sitting around having some pity party about what they don't have, but they were begging for the chance to exercise their generosity because of the grace that had been produced in them. It's almost like that Paul has showed up, and he's like, well, you know what, Macedonian churches, it's okay. I know you're going through a tough time. Yeah, there's some really difficult things going on in Jerusalem, but you just need to take care of yourselves. Don't worry about it. We'll try to figure it out, helping them, helping the, the ministry go on some other way you just don't worry about it and they're like no 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 no! please let us please let us give us the favor of being a part of what's going on and so he holds up to them to the corinthian church and i would hold it up to us to excel in the gracious act of giving now here at first church we hold up as a benchmark a tithe the tithe just simply means 10 percent it's something that we see in Scripture, Malachi 3.10. says, To bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of the host. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And in God's economy, what we recognize, that in God's economy, 
The math is 90 is more than 100. When we commit to just trusting God and testing God, as Malachi says, to live on the 90 and give the 10 away, that that's more than 100. That's more than saying all of these sour punch draws are mine. You go find your own. When God says, can I just have one or two? Because we can't outgive God. Chris and I, it's a privilege to be able to tithe. To be able to do that, to try to, to, try to model that, to do in obedience. On our income, to be a part of what God's doing in this church and in our, in our state in, uh, internationally. To, 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 to be a part of some of that. I want us to go back as we wrap up to verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been, been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul is encouraging, again, the church in Corinth. He was holding up the church in Macedonia as this example. This generosity of the church in Macedonia. He was celebrating their generosity. And I just want to take a minute to celebrate your generosity. To celebrate First Church's generosity. To say thank you for the way that so many of you have partnered with us. You have that spirit of Norma Coverman, spirit of the Macedonian church. And I just want to celebrate your sacrificial, obedient generosity that is on display in so many ways. To thank you for the joy that together we're able to bring to others, the hope that we're able to bring to others, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're able to bring to others. I've been able to be firsthand a, a, a representative of First Church as have the chance to look a leader in the eye, whether that leader is in Malawi or in Paraguay or in uh, 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 in uh, some other place like Ukraine where I, I shook the hand of the, the pastor of that church in Ukraine as we unloaded supplies to give out as they're experiencing extreme poverty as a result of the war that's going on there. And to come alongside our brothers and to be able to represent us, I just want to say thank you and to celebrate your generosity. As our worship team comes back up as we conclude I just want to just remind us of how amazing God's word always is, how practical it always is. And I love that the spirit of generosity is alive and well at First Church. I just want to conclude with just to remind you of these challenges that we see in this story. The challenge to give as a privilege, not as an obligation, to see it that way. To excel in this gracious act of giving. And I just want to say, if you're a follower of Christ and you consider First Church your home, I would just invite you to exercise your generosity, the grace that you've been shown, and to come alongside and let's partner together to see what God wants to do. If you're still kicking the tires on faith, you're not a follower of Christ, this is not your church home, I, there is no zero guilt. That's not the purpose. I just want to invite you into what God is asking you to do, whatever that is. And so, as the Scripture says to look and to look in your own heart and to talk to the Lord and decide what God is asking you to do as a part of the kingdom work to make a plan whatever that is and then do it and if you know we think about as I held up that benchmark of tithing that might be a tough place to start and so start somewhere whatever that is and then just trust God maybe it's three percent or four percent and then just trust God with that and to see how he grows and that generosity grows and, and just let God work through you as you become more and more conformed to the image of Christ 
And we understand that these, this pile that you have, that God's just inviting you to give back part to be blessing to others. So Father, as we conclude, God, as we sing this last song that just reminds us of the grace that, that came for us, that followed us, that's pursued us, God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have, that we've been given to be a part of what you're doing in our world. And God, I pray that you just set us free from this hold that stuff has on us, that sour punch straws have on us, that these things of this world have on us. And God, I pray you set us free to exercise the generosity that allows us to spread the grace that you've been given to others. Thank you, Father. Speak to us now. In the name of Christ, I pray.